Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. Welcome, everybody, to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider-Talk, and boy, what a review it's going to be, I'd have to imagine. <laughs> you bet. Well, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, which we'll be discussing a lot of tonight, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Although, is this the perfect issue to start reading, Dan? We'll get to it. <laughs> so today on the show, you and I are going to be discussing Sinister War number four and Amazing Spider-Man volume five number 73. <laughs> Big issue, <laughs> to say the least. But first, buckle up. Because, you know, we're going to spend all of a few minutes on Sinister War number four. This issue was written by Nick Spencer and Ed Brisson with pencils by Mark Bagley. Do we know how to say this one? <laughs> Diogenes? Diogenes. Diogenes, Nevis, and Marcelo Ferreira. Inks by Andrew Hennessy. Diogenes. Di- di- <laughs> why? why am I already struggling, Dan? <laughs> This is not even the part we should be struggling with. Marcelo Ferreira and Andy Owens. Colors by Brian Reber and Andrew Crossley. And letters by VCs Joe Caramunga. And a cover by Brian Hitch and Alex Sinclair. This issue was first released on September 1st, 2021. Dan, Sinister War, through its first three issue, issues, was basically a punch and kick fest. Lots of characters and villains and Spider-Man was getting punched and having to talk about his sins to to uh, cackling kindred. Was this any different? No. <laughs> but there are a couple, like, you know, plot beats here. You know, I, I think, the you know, the major one is that there's a major character death. I thought this issue was fine but incredibly thin. I think they've been charging us $4.99 for each of these issues. To me, it's just a senseless cash grab, all of this. I mean, they try to close some characters' arcs off here, but even just from the start, the very conceit of it, that you know, Kindred has all these people going after Spider-Man, 
and trying to kill him, even though Kindred has killed Spider-Man a hundred times over, you know, the, the whole thing just never really made a lot of sense. And at least to me, it seemed like a way of kind of like boosting the danger and the stakes of this whole Sinister War wrap up and also just getting a few more bucks out of us in, in, in the end. So frankly, a bit disappointing, kind of more of the same. Your, your thoughts? I certainly didn't think this issue was any worse than what preceded it. And like you said, there were a couple of at least somewhat important moments or developments that that I think will have an impact on the series going forward, you know, to a degree, Uh, certainly for poor Boomerang, you know, maybe less so for for Doc Ock and what happened with him and kind of his growth or not growth, depending on how you view it. Before you even said it, the, the the phrase that kept popping into my head was cash grab. I mean, it's very clear when you're reading the mainline book right now, the main ASM book. I, I mean, is this is, is this book even barely referenced? I, I, I You know what I mean? Like, I, I guess I guess Spider-Man is kind of like I was fighting guys. <laughs> Lots of sixes. You know what I mean? But like the, 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 to me, like it, it felt very inconsequential. You you didn't need to read it. If you saved your four ninety nine and you know times four for this, I, I can't say you missed anything that that's going to help or hurt your understanding of Amazing Spider Man. And you know, understanding is the key word. I mean, I don't know what you could have read <laughs> to maybe understand that, but we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. The art is generally fine. It's fun to see lots of villains, I guess, and and action. But like, it's it's just it to me. This is like just very shallow thin storytelling I, I we alluded to it earlier that that you know the arc of boomerang ends here with him sacrificing himself to save spider-man as Moreland is is lining up to kill him i mean you know how Moreland factors into this is kind of like oh of course you know we already have the savage six and the sinister six and the superior six so you know Moreland doesn't have a six but like he we can just throw him out there too i guess it's not so much that I'm like, oh, how could they kill Boomerang or is this a good time to kill Boomerang? You know, I, I guess it is a way to wrap up his arc that Spencer kind of started in this series and frankly, going back to Superior Foes. But like at the same time, it's also kind of like, you know, to have it happen in this kind of B book, essentially offshoot book. I don't know. Like it kind of felt meh, to me like like. I wanted better for Boomerang if you if he was going to bite the dust, I guess. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. And I, I mean, I, my big thing is I don't think there's really anything poetic about it. You know, like you've got Moreland who has no relationship to Kindred or no, no, no. You've got Moreland has no relationship to Boomerang. Sorry. In, of any kind. There's no history there. This doesn't feel like dominoes falling or, or any kind of consequence of Boomerang's actions that have landed him here. You know, for someone like Fred Myers, who is a big schemer that kind of always falls on his face, you'd think that, like, it would be one of those schemes that did him in in the end, right? Like, he had bitten off more than he could chew. And, you know, coming from Nick Spencer, who almost essentially created that element of the character, you know, I I expected something a little more clever than just, I'm going to jump in and take the bullet for you, which is, Moreland is essentially just a bullet being fired at whoever he touches. And that was really disappointing, especially considering, you know, I felt like there was a potential for Boomerang to die, you know, maybe trying to prove himself a hero during that tablet story. 
it's like they had it right there and they, they, you know, they had the nice beat. And I think I called it when we reviewed that episode. I said, this isn't the end of Boomerang. He's going to come back and sacrifice himself. You know, and I, I think maybe personally I was hoping that it would have something to do with like the lookout that we got for a while in, in this book that have altogether disappeared. And that might have just been me overreading something. Well, there was a, there, there was, was many so of them. And maybe up. that's why they disappeared because we kept calling them out. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I I don't want to take credit for that, but like, it, but it's it, it 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 just there was nothing poetic about this. It just seemed like a like a like a way to just put him in the line of fire and take him out. And you know, I th- I think there's a nice beat where the foes kind of all stand around his body and they like realize their leader is gone and they turn against the rest of the six sinister sixes. So it's like seven on 29 or however it ends up working out. And I thought that was like a, or I guess like since there was only five of them left, whatever (laughs) on, on 29, whatever it is, that was nice, but not enough, especially considering that like this run is trafficked so much in boomerang. It feels like putting him to death was a bit of a footnote or something that like he knew the story needed, but just didn't work like a lot of uh, detail in. So like, I think the right beat not executed terribly well. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I have a terrible lot to add to that. You know, yeah, I think, I think you said it all. I mean, and, and I also agree with you. I mean, like I think like the lifeline tablet story probably would have been the place I would have done it if, if this was the necessary step. I mean, I get that they wanted to have like, one last double cross to kind of, you know, and maybe, you know, if if maybe that double cross came in the in the scheme of the of of the story of the Lifeline Tablet story and then he ended up sacrificing himself in that story, it, it, it would have felt more complete, you know, like more of a redemption. But like, you know, the fact that he kind of did that and then was kind of pushed to the side here where he was kind of contemplating it you know, contemplating his actions for a few issues, but it was really kind of inconsequential. And then, you know, and, and, and like you said, too, it's like Moreland, you know, there's no history there. I mean, I don't even know why Moreland's in this story outside of like, it's got everybody. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, like the, the, the other disappointment for me, I think as a whole with as it relates to this miniseries. And I, I think I talked about this a little bit last uh, episode, Dan, is that, you know, I do feel that this was a waste of the return of the, of the, I guess the OG Doc Ock, um, you know, after, and I know like Superior, the, the, when it kind of became its own uh, secondary title with Christos Gage that it did not have the eyes and ears on it, the way the Dan Slot Superior Spider-Man did, but like, you know, it. I think for a period of time, for sure, this was a very significant character in in the Spider-Man narrative here. And, you know, the, the fact that he was kind of back in his original form, you know, I think first kind of setting him up as a henchman for Kindred was kind of lame. And then just having him be one of many villains is is was disappointing. I mean, yes, he gets to, I guess, free the villains in this storyline by, you know, basically using black ants helmet diffusing the centipedes that are in everybody's brain which is kind of a crazy thought in itself all right so you know and then it's like okay story over and that's the end you've reached the end of the book <laughs> everyone's just moving on now and it it just feels very strange that this is this is how marvel chose to 
mark the return of Dr. Octopus. You know, like I, I, I would have I would have expected more given the history here. I mean, this is one of the original, original Spider-Man, Dicko, you know, Dicko Lee Spider-Man villains. So I don't know, like, I, I, I guess I, I just wanted more out of it and we didn't get it. So there you go. Yeah, and he just lets Spider-Man go after all of it. You know, I, I guess he kind of has that point where he makes where he says, like, I'm not going to be someone's henchman, you know, and so he's going to like thwart Kindred's plan by letting Spider-Man go because he's, you know, kind of got his way and he didn't like being tricked. But I also thought like Spidey has just been on the run in all these issues and has not really had a win. Like, I get that, like, Otto is the intelligent guy that can rework it. But, like, why not give Spider-Man that moment? Why not have him steal Black Ant's helmet and rework it and have a clever trick and save everybody? You know, like, I I think that's like a Spider-Man moment. And if you're not going to do much with Dr. Octopus, at least give Spider-Man a win. And I think, frankly, doing it it just seems like a real miss. And I think doing it that way also gives still allows Otto to have his moment of like, well, I didn't like the fact that I was under Kindred's heel. So, you know, we're square for now. But next time you won't be so lucky kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it still works. So you're right. I mean, like not only do we kind of waste Doc Ock, but as we've been doing throughout the latter half of this run of comics over the last year, almost we've been we're, we're wasting Spider-Man. So there you go. <laughs> So then that's all done. You know, wipe your hands of that. We go now to Doctor Strange, who has been hanging out with Mephisto for 20 plus issues, slowly having this conversation. Maybe time works differently in Mephisto's casino. I'm, I'm not really sure, you know, or, or they're just beating around the bush, like checking up on each other's lives here and there. I mean, I think it was interesting. There's like a moment where like Doctor Strange wins at the roulette wheel and freeze all those people's uh, souls and it's like which came first the chicken or the egg did dr strange win the roulette wheel or did dr octopus like free all of them that like you can see how cosmic fate kind of connects it i mean i'm probably giving it maybe a little too much credit but that was my takeaway was that like we're seeing the actions of the people above mirrored by how chance works out down below so there is still some kind of fate or or is there? And then, you know, Mephisto says something really cryptic, like Spider-Man's in for a big loss. And then the book is over. That's how it ends. That's uh, it. I mean, uh, I would say the art is as as fine as it's ever been. It's pages stuffed with villains. I don't think any of the layouts are particularly interesting. It's just a lot for Mark Bagley to draw. And, you know, I think he's done better issues. If you picked up the Life Story Annual the other day, you saw a beautiful issue from Mark Bagley. And this is like fine Mark Bagley on a deadline. This is this is the Mark Bagley you hire because you need the issue done, not because you want the issue to look the absolute best. So, <laughs> Right. And, and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I have heard rumors about these pages coming in late. And that's why there's so many creators on the books. But those are just rumors and I have nothing to uh, actually back them up. But, you know, I know rushed Mark Bagley when I see it. And to me, this was rushed Mark Bagley. There you go. So what's 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 your grade on the end of Sinister War here, Dan? This is a C minus for me. I'm, I'm going to stay in the D zone, but I'm just going to keep it D. I, I think what I gave the last one a D minus. I, you know, I guess 
there was a couple of better moments in this one. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's take a quick little interlude here, Dan, and we'll get we'll we'll get to the. You want to get to the meat and potatoes of this episode? I, I'm eager to get to it, but let let's take care of business first. Mark, why don't you tell us about our Slack? Yeah, so hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, how's the Slack been lately? I mean, uh, we're about to talk about it, but you can imagine this week it has exploded. I mean, I'm opening it up, and there's like... 300 new comments for me to catch up on. I feel like I've read a novel in the Slack. Now, it's not always like that, but you know, when Spider-Man's world gets completely upended by some major retcon, Lord knows we're going to talk about it. So that's over in the Slack. Like, think of it, instead of going into your comic book shop and yelling at your the person who works there with, about all your crazy ideas, come do it in our Slack. I mean, or come do it to my face in the Slack. I'd love to hear all about it. So come, come on in. There's a link in the show's description. Come on in, say hi, and, and introduce yourself to us. And uh, let us know what you thought about this episode, about any of our episodes. We, we talk about everything in there. So come check us out on the Slack. Awesome. All right, Mark. Let's get to it. Let's right. get to the what? whole thing. I thought we're done. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no mark no. no 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 we can't escape that easily next on the show dan and i are going to be discussing amazing spider-man volume 5 number 73 this issue was written by nick spencer with art by zay carlos carlos gomez marcelo ferrero colors by alex sinclair and letters by vc's joe caramanga a cover by mark bagley edgar delgado john dell and brian reber this issue was first released on september 8th 2021 so Dan, let me let me let me let me set the stage for you. When I went into my comic book shop last Wednesday, I, I, I think I might have mentioned on the show recently that I've been, you know, I've been going back into the, my office, which is near my LCS, uh, with a little more frequency now. And I actually went. I was there last Wednesday, so I I, I picked this one up the day it came out. And the the guy working the register who, you know, has been at my comic shop for years. He's a big Spider-Man fan, big, big old school Spider-Man fan. Like when we, when we talk, we often discuss a lot about like Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco, like that kind of era of Spider-Man. So, you know, our kind of fans, right? <laughs> and as he as he rung up my issue, he just kind of looked at the cover and just let out this heaviest sigh. <laughs> And I was like, that good, huh? And he's like, I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I even joked. I was like, this whole run started out with such promise. He's like, yeah, I know. And then another sigh. So, Dan, you know, where, where do we want to start with Amazing Spider-Man 73, which might be the most controversial issue of Spider-Man that has come out? Certainly since we started this show, it might even, you know... I was gonna say brand new day or excuse me one more day was in our lifetimes but like this is this is i think among the rankings or runnings for the most controversial issue of spider-man of all time yeah i i think that's fair i mean we certainly we weren't like covering these issues live when they were coming out around like 698 to 700 i've not heard death threats over this one but maybe that's because nick spencer's not on twitter 
but but I haven't seen this explode in the way that like Nazi cap did. But I think that that's probably because that has a more kind of immediate way to be misunderstood. Whereas this is so complicated that, you know, it, it would be hard for someone to get like upset about this comic unless you were really in the know. I posted a tweet thread about this that has gone the most viral of anything that I've ever posted. So I've been getting a lot of like immediate reactions to this. But yeah, I think so. I mean, and for some people, I think this is the comic they've been waiting for, you know, however they feel about it. The 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 outcome of this comic is something they've been waiting for for what, 15 years? So, you know, it carries a lot of weight behind it. So, yeah, I would say probably uh, I mean, it's I think it's only controversial in that its execution is what it is, because I think most people would be fine with the results specifically being the undoing of sin's past. If it just happened in a comic in, in whatever way it happened, this is a unique situation because it's not only that, but it's also the culmination of a run that has been slowly teased out for a very long time. So you've got a bunch of things cresting in this one issue. And I, I, I thought what we could do before we even get to the discussing the issue itself is kind of talk about like where we're coming from in approaching this review, because I do think different audiences, I mean, I've seen a wide range of reactions to this. I've seen mostly the kind of reactions that you're about to hear us give, but I know that there are communities that feel very much the opposite of us. And some people think that the, the ends justified the means, you know, but I thought maybe we could talk about where we're coming into this because, you know, these are our opinions. We're not putting any solid like proclamation, like this comic is blank on, on this. I mean, let's just start off with this. Like how, what kind of fan you know, if we even want to call ourselves fans, I, I dare say we're fans, but maybe we're crossing over into like historians, you know, or, or critics, you know, a critic doesn't mean you're necessarily a fan. Do you, do you see yourself as a fan of Spider-Man at this point? I, I mean, I still feel at my core, I'm a fan. I mean, like, I, I don't think I would embark on an endeavor like this show or, you know, Chasing Amazing or the book without some serious fandom and and you know like I I and the, and frankly part of the reason why I also say I'm a fan is because like there's very little at this point that can be thrown at me that's going to change my fandom like you know like I I I, I there there are certainly have been stories over the years um, where I have not enjoyed have not liked have flat thought were flat out stupid and ridiculous and yet like that didn't necessarily negate my fandom i mean i i I think the one exception to that rule was kind of like the gap following some stuff with the clone saga where i stopped picking up comics for a while but like that frankly not for nothing dan i was also like you know late getting late into high school and then going into college and you know just didn't really have the time or the bandwidth to get like into all of the ins and outs of of the the clone saga mythology <laughs> and and frankly that might be the case that might have been the case with this story too given um if if I was in a different place in my life but so with that in mind like that, that's that's why like you know when people are like oh you know it's just a retcon or it's just a this it, it, I mean you know 
it's true. It is. And, and I generally feel like I can roll with it because I'm a fan at heart. You know, like I, 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 I'm a critic in that I come on here with you every other week and dissect what I think was done well and not well uh, with these comics. But like, you know, if we weren't doing this show, Dan, like, you know, I'm, I'm still going to be reading Spider-Man comics. I'm still going to be seeing Spider-Man movies. Like, you know, there's very little that can be done here. That's going to make me just say, that's it. I'm done. You know? So that's, that's, that's kind of where I come from when it comes to how, how do I approach the world of Spider-Man and, and his various media? So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what I think. (laughs) Yeah, and as for me, you know, we we open the show by saying we're two fans and collectors, right? You know, maybe we should add we're we're fans, collectors, and critics because or historians because we are kind of positioning ourselves in an interesting way. You know, I think that goes into our interviews too. Uh, we talked to Alan, available Alan Shurstel about this, where he has suggested like on our three hundredth episode, like maybe some of these writers aren't going to come on your show because you're being critical of their work. Whereas I think if we were just kind of fans cheerleading them, you know, it, it might change the, the, our relationship with them. And, and that's totally understandable. But I do still consider myself a fan in that. And I've said this on the show many times. I'm optimistic for every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Like even reading this one, I'm optimistic for Amazing Spider-Man number 74, because who knows what that could bring. Maybe it will open my eyes up in a different way about what I read in this issue I may not change my opinion on this, but I'm always optimistic for the next thing because there's nothing I want more than to read a great Spider-Man story. You know, I wouldn't do this show if I knew next week I was expecting something to be really terrible. And, you know, that's tested us over the years. I mean, we've been doing this for nine years now, Mark, or almost nine years, Mark. And, you know, there's been some comics and periods of this where I've been like, I really just don't like this run right now. But I'm still remain optimistic. And to me, that's how I kind of devote my fandom, you know, and, and, and also to just kind of comics in general and spreading the word about this medium that I think gets so uh, easily shoved aside or called immature. So, yeah, so I consider myself a fan and, you know, opening this book up, I, I hope for the best. But I'm also like you. There, there's very few stories that are going to like really bump me off, you know, of uh, of collecting of reading of still appreciating my character. And I, and I'm very, you know, speaking of continuity, I, for me, I can very, it's very easy for me to like forget something exists and, and move back and like reset my brain back to like the, what I, my, my purest understanding of the character of Spider-Man is how, how might you like, how do you approach continuity uh, in, in this? Like, do you, do you like a book that really relies on it? Do you see it as, you know, it's a tool like anything else It can be used properly and improperly continuity and in comics is, is such a, it's such a tricky thing because, you know, like Marvel obviously kind of like hangs its hat on the fact that, you know, it's continuity counts and, you know, as opposed to like, you know, DC where they, you know, kind of have, multiple continuities and then they've kind of refreshed and restarted and then refreshed and restarted. And, you know, but the, but the, but the, the fact of the matter is about Marvel is, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of a myth about their continuity because, 
you know, just as as time has gone on, the continuity has just had to change, you know, like obviously like Iron Man was, you know, Tony Stark was not a prisoner in the 1960s if you're opening a comic in 2021, you know what I mean? Like, or, you know, and Cap wasn't, Captain America wasn't revived in 1964 now that we're 60 years removed from that, you know what I mean? So like, like things have changed even if like, you know, they weren't like a straight up like erasing of the timeline. It's just like you you, you, you kind of have to adapt or die. So like when it comes to the the general idea of continuity as it relates to Spider-Man, like I, I, I to me, like, you know, the one constant in comics is is change. And, and that's why, frankly, I don't generally get too uptight about changes in continuity unless it's done poorly or unless i feel like it's done unnecessarily you know like why like why are we doing this and and why are we doing this with this story and we'll we'll get into that the further we get into this review here in terms of how my opinion might shift a little bit with amazing spider-man number 73 here yeah i i see continuity as like maybe one of the greatest tools that marvel has I, i mean i don't think continuity makes a good story and we've seen plenty of evidence of that you know, like it, I think, you know, uh, maybe I see the editors as like safeguards of continuity, but really a writer should be aiming to tell the best story that they can. And I won't say that like JMS completely abandoned continuity. He used some of it, you know, but I don't think he was, I think in terms of like modern writers, he was like the least slavish to whatever the continuity was for his characters. I mean, uh, for the most part, he ignored a lot of Spider-Man's rogues, but there is there is something about the continuity in history that gives the actions in these comics more weight. You know, like I don't like my heart doesn't pound the same way when I read, I don't know, like a renew your vows issue and know that it's not in the prime universe. You know, it's not going to impact the continuity or, you know, for me, the thrill of superior was, well, what is this going to do to the continuity? I know they're going to have to deal with all the ramifications of these actions at some point down the line. Now, I do. I feel like they were doing that satisfyingly. Not really. But, you know, it did give some weight to that story. You know, so I I think it can be used well. But when you rely on it too much or get too deep into it, you know, one, you can alienate your audience by, you know, expecting them to have read everything. If you haven't given them the kind of like bridge to get there, you can you you can also just kind of get lost in that stuff and not be telling new stories or character stories because continuity is not character, right? It can reinforce character. It can, you know, just like all of our actions do, right? Like uh, actions I've made in my life, you know, help define my character, but they aren't my character. You know, I'm always open to change. That's kind of how I see uh, continuity. More, you know, more generally, like, uh, retcons like how do we feel about that do, do you you know are there ones you like examples of in amazing spider-man you're like that's that's a retcon that makes sense and i and i like it because i'm a fan my expectation is that there will be re- there will be retcons and i think some some will work and some will not but as long as they're they're executed logically i'm willing to see things through to the end, you know? So that's why, like, it's like, you know, are there some that I like or don't? I, I mean, like, I, 
I don't have an opinion in that regard. I know that's 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 a cop out, but like, you know, not to not to preview an episode coming up in our regular season, but like, you know, the whole thing with the hobgoblin. I mean, obviously when Ned Leeds is is revealed as the hobgoblin, that's a bummer. They end up getting Roger Stern back 10 years later to kind of retcon it and have it be Roderick Kingsley. Does that make it better? I don't I don't know. I mean, like it's a good story. So I liked it. You know, <laughs> like I didn't like the Ned Leeds reveal because the dude had just been killed a month earlier in Spider-Man vs. Wolverine. So it didn't make sense. <laughs> so, you know, that's the right. There, there's nothing inherently interesting about Roderick Kingsley. Right. Except for how well it's written. Right. So, you know, like, no, I, 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 I don't necessarily have. A retcon that I think is just like, yeah, this is this is this. It's more about like, let's let's see it out. I mean, like bringing back Aunt May from the dead was, you know, that story was pretty bad. You know, it was she was she died because Norman Osborn hired an actress and then kidnapped her and put a bomb in her brain. Or I mean, like, that's insane. Might be the most insane thing I've seen in a Spider-Man comic since this current one. We also got some great Aunt May stories that came in the fallout of that retcon. So, you know, like like the JMS stuff that we got with Aunt May before, you know, her, you know, that led to the other retcon known as One More Day. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, like it, it's like I said, the, the, the one constant is change and these things happen all the time and you almost become like numb to it because like you just have to expect it at this point. You have to expect that nothing that you think is 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 gospel is going to stay gospel when it comes to comics i just think like and i think if you're a fan that approaches it that way you're just going to be constantly disappointed by it yeah and i feel very similarly to you which i'm sure it should be no surprise to anybody that listens to our show is yeah a good story is a good story like you know there, there is a version of jms is introducing totemic powers you know and and that whole question that would make me never want to read a Spider-Man comic again, or I'm going against my earlier statement, but it's so well-written, it's compelling. And the way he weaves it, it, you know, makes it really interesting. And and we've seen writers pick up on that thread and not do a good job with it and make it very not interesting and dumb and reductive to the character. If retcons can, can make something richer and it fits in well, you know, I, I, I'm totally okay with it. Um, but it's not often the well that I would go into, you know, I would always try to like tell my stories based in character rather than rewriting history because, you know, unless it reveals something about a character in a different light, you know, it, it, it's not doing the job of, of pushing things forward in, in an interesting way, typically. So there's that. I mean, like Hobgoblin's li- Hobgoblin lives is interesting because it really was just kind of like, fixing an, uh, you know, a, a, you know, something to the original writer's desire, which, you know, is an interesting situation and that not many writers get to do, which is like fix what came after them. And so in that regard, it's probably a really inside baseball kind of thing. But again, the story is so good that, you know, it, you forget about the retcon of it. It just becomes the, you know, the continuity and, and you accept it for, for what it is. So, you know, in terms of retcons, you know, this story that we're going to talk about today, largely retcons since past. And I think we expect, and we'll talk about this when we review 74 in a couple of weeks, I think we largely expect it to retcon one more day in some way, or at least 
like develop that, continue that story in a way that removes a lot of the elements of it that people don't like. Specifically, that Peter and Mary Jane can't be together or don't have acknowledged history of their lives prior to the deal with Mephisto and the spell with Doctor Strange. You know, how do you feel about Sin's past? I mean, you and I have talked about it briefly before. I want to know about your, your thoughts about the story itself really briefly. Is that something that you've wanted to see undone or erased from continuity? I mean, Sin's past is probably certainly in the top three or four of like my least favorite Spider-Man stories. Can I just briefly summarize Sin's Past, even though we're probably going to summarize the summarize here? <laughs> you know, Sin's Past is, you know, in, in the, the, the TLDR version, uh, Norman Osborn slept with Gwen Stacy when, when she and Peter were briefly on the outs uh, before he killed her. And, and she gave birth to two, like, superhuman twins, uh, Gabriel and uh, Sarah Stacy. Who you know in sins past come back to murder Peter? You know try to murder Peter because they they blame her him for Gwen's death and for kind of saddling them with a psychopath like Norman Osborn. Is that a is that a good summary? Uh, a quick summary of that story? <laughs> yeah, right. And, and and by the end of it, Peter is able to convince them that no, he's not their father. It was Norman after all. When MJ, who had been holding a secret from him, reveals that she knew all along. Gwen and Norman had been together and had been keeping it from Peter. Yeah. And like, you know, this story, I mean, like it was kind of reviled from it came out. I mean, J. Michael Straczynski, the writer himself, like kind of tried to disavow it because, you know, I mean, of course, like it's worth noting that the version that he originally pitched to Marvel was like he wanted Gabriel and Sarah to be Peter's children. So, again, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. (laughs) It, it it saves Gwen from the the shame and horror of having slept with Norman Osborn. It's still a like to me like what I don't like about Sin's Past is it just feels like such a, a basic trash story. Like it's like you know it's it's you know like what what you know like secret secret love children with a with a with a grudge. Like I I, I just don't know what place that has in superhero comics. I mean, it just feels like, you know, we're going to, we're going to do something edgy for the sake of being edgy. And, you know, frankly, that's part of the reason why, and, and, you know, I, I view this through a different lens than one more day, which we can get into because like, for me, like it, it doesn't add anything to the story. So thus, like, while I think that it's a disgraceful story and it does, it, it, you know, disgraces Gwen's legacy, if you will, that that they had this happen. At the same time, I don't know how fixing it changes anything that's also happened since then as well. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's like, you know, the story has been pretty much ignored since the brand new day era of Spider-Man. And like for me, and this is just my opinion, like my preference with it just just keep ignoring it because like by ignoring it, you're, you're, you're not giving it oxygen. You're essentially retconning it and and ignoring it. You know, (laughs) like, it's like, yes, it's, if you go back in time and read the comics, like you'll, you'll see that it exists, but like, you know, if 
you just don't talk about it long enough or people really, you know, are you going to have generations of fans that really are like, oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I really would like that, like Spider-Gwen, except, you know, her, her 616 counterpart slept with Dorian Osborne. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't come up anymore. So why are we bringing it up now? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. I, I'll say. And, and, and again, I don't want people to take this too far. I'm a little bit of a sins past apologist. I don't love the book, but I think it's very well written, like uh, for what it is, for the trash story it is. It's got like this amazing team of artists and writers on it that can sell it to you fully. And I do think that it is in line with the types of stories that surround the goblin, which is stories of like family and legacy and abuse by Norman on other people. And I do see a, like why there would be a desire to tell this story and that it does close some loopholes. Like why did, uh, you know, Gwen go you know to Europe for so long and what was Norman doing in Europe for so long instead of coming back to the States after he died? And also why did he go after Gwen on the night that she died? Like it, 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 it gives like some enriching context to that. Those additions are vastly outweighed by the damage it does to the Gwen character. And, you know, I have my feelings about like the kind of like trope of the innocent young love that could possibly do do no wrong. But I don't think the answer is to make her shack up with Norman. I also think that like if their sex scene wasn't drawn in the way that it was drawn. <laughs> it would receive maybe a little bit less criticism because it is incredibly creepy, especially with Tommy Lee Jones's face on say, Norman's Nor- Nor- uh, body. Norman Lee Jones's O face. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know that I ever needed to see that. You know, th- there is that to, to add on there. So like if I could undo it, I totally would, but I understand like, its place and and why they went there. Like at the, at the very end, it's like, I appreciate that the story is about something, you know, like it, it, it is trying to get at something. And I do think that he like tries his best to make Gwen. There's like some supernatural element that guides her to Norman. She describes his kind of like overpowering. There's something about him that I couldn't put my finger on. And I've always read that as some kind of like, uh, hypnotism or something related to the goblin serum, or at least some kind of attraction that also drew her to Peter. These people with these secrets, these powerful secrets that she seems attracted to in in a way that points back at Peter. So there's like things there that I find really interesting. Uh, I don't like the story. You know, you, when we were talking about this earlier on text, you said, you know, I said, Oh, you know, like the, the story is beautiful. Like the artwork is great. And you said, yeah, but that's like, you know, how is the play, Mr. Lincoln? You know, uh, and it's like, yeah. So like, oh, in the end, like, I don't like it, but I understand like how this story came to be and why people would think that maybe it had something to offer. Um, in terms of like, do I want to see it undone? I guess if I could snap my fingers and erase it from continuity, I would. Especially if it was like a quick story that didn't elevate its place in the Spider-Man mythos. Like, uh, I, I'd be totally down for that. Like I, I have long said that removing some of these albatrosses from Spider-Man's past, if it lets people clear up 
the future and, and allows them to get back into Spider-Man. I think that's a net gain. I, I see what you're saying. And I don't disagree with like that thought process. I mean, and for me, and like just to kind of bridge to the other story we want to talk about here, which is one more day, is that, you know, did, did the has the existence of Sin's past inhibited how we can tell Spider-Man stories? And I don't think it has. You know, like like I said, it's been largely ignored for the last 15 years or so. And I think it's been ignored well and it hasn't changed anything. Now, One More Day, which is, you know, you described it, I think, briefly earlier. I mean, it's this is this is the story. Spider uh, Peter, you know, Aunt May is is shot by a sniper and is on her deathbed and to save her life. Peter strikes a deal with Mephisto, the the Marvel devil, for those who are un- unaware, um, although, you know, everyone wants Mephisto in like Disney Plus stuff that, you know, basically in exchange for his marriage, he will um, save his Aunt May. And then also for like, you know, for for giggles, he he's like he and oh, by the way, you know, no one will re- will remember that you're Peter Parker because he had just this was in the Civil War era. So he had just unmasked as Peter Parker. So like, you know, two for one, your marriage is gone, but no one will know that you're Spider-Man and your aunt lives with one more day. Now I, I have gone on the record as a, as a somewhat of apologist for this story, because even though I don't like the idea of Peter cutting a deal with the devil, because I do think that's out of character. I don't, I'm not necessarily one of these people that feels that like Peter and Mary Jane being married is, is an essential uh, part of Spider-Man. Not that it's I- funny because I kind of feel the flip, which is like I really like Peter and MJ as a couple because I think, and we'll talk about this later. I think the theme of Spider-Man is responsibility, not youth, and I think more responsibility comes with being partnered up, whether or not the writers are able to write that well, which is a whole other discussion. I think the devil of it all, I I only don't like because it's lazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to the marriage, but like, like, you know, it's funny, like, I feel like there there, there was a, a certain number of creators. And, and frankly, I mean, this 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 goes beyond. I mean, I know everyone wants to just beat up Joe Quesada, you know, for for mandating one more day. And, and you know, he did. But like, you know, go go back in time and read interviews about, you know, like, bunch of people were like no don't marry them off because it's gonna it's gonna paint us into a corner you know what i mean like and and like it just felt like for years and years and years having peter and mj be married became an inhibitor to certain creators you know like i mean that's frankly what part of what made the clone saga go off the rails was because it was like they wanted to use the the creators wanted to use the clone saga to get peter and mj out of the book uh, because they wanted them to go off and and have children and be responsible, and I get that, and you know, like I I understand that they want that happy ending, but then you're like, yeah, but it's superhero comics, you got to bring it back at some point. So for me, I, I it's it's kind of a catch twenty two where I feel like, you know, the the one more day is initiated because they felt that that Peter and MJ being together was inhibiting the story, and yet I can understand why people want to go back and fix it now, like the way we. Th- assume Spencer is Nick Spencer is doing because like I feel like 
having them be apart has become inhibitive. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, that's inhibiting this story because it's like they're right there. And it's like, you know, for, you know, during the brand new day era and then, you know, up and through the superior Spider-Man era, it was like, well, we can't have them together, you know? And, you know, like I know people lashed out at Dan Slott for that, but, you know, frankly, I think he was just kind of trying to honor the recent history of the book and be like, no, 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 let me, let me write them apart. To me, like that is a more sensible retcon because I, I, I see the merit in trying to remove something that is becoming a roadblock to telling stories. I mean, I, I feel like you can tell good stories of single Peter Parker. We've seen them. We saw them before he married MJ and we saw him after one more day. There are good stories out there. But if you feel that that it's truly a roadblock uh, and you need to get, bring them back together, then I can get why you would want to explore that retcon. Whereas again, with, with since past, I, I don't know what undoing Gwen's affair with Norman Osborn, what that allows you to tell as a story outside of your own pet peeve about what that did to Gwen as a character. And, and same with, with the fandom of it, you know, like, like what, what story can't, can or can't you tell with Sin's past having happened? So that's, that's where I kind of draw the line with should they or shouldn't they? I mean, I, I feel like with One More Day, there's like a built-in story there to retcon it, which is, you know, you have Peter and MJ's love can overcome anything, right? Even whatever deal they made with the devil, right? And also Peter is a character that is inherently flawed, right? He makes, you know, bad decisions in the moment that end up coming to hurt him, but he will ultimately do the right thing by the end. And so you have a built-in redemptive arc, which could work for one more day, you know, it, it, is it a little too bold of a redemptive arc for me? Probably. Like, I don't know that I need to see it go to quite so low, you know, but I enjoyed the brand new day stuff. And before long, I, I had just gone on with it because I felt like I was getting good Spider-Man stories. Not that I felt like one more day added or really detracted to that, which I think is really the full flaw of one more day was, I don't think they really told many stories that would really have been all that hurt by having MJ be married to Peter in them. But it is what it is. What it is. And I, I do think that we're moving towards a, whether it's undone or whatever it is, you know, and, but since past, we had a Gwen story literally where she was reborn from the moment she died in the clone conspiracy. And I never once reading that felt like, Hey, maybe Peter should address like Norman's children with her, you know, like we, it, it allowed it to be, touching and you know emotional you know because i thought that those scenes were pretty well written and never once did i think about since past we had moved on it was never addressed and gwen was presented as the same old innocent gwen we knew from beforehand and i don't think people got hung up on that you know i can only speak for myself i think at the end of the day like what we mean to say is like your mileage may vary in terms of like what the value of retconning this story actually has. But I wanted to say where Mark and I stand on it. And so if you feel very different than us, when we do get into our review, know that you might place the value of retconning these stories higher than us in terms of like what we want out of these books. But at least we can maybe help, help you understand where we stand before we get into the meat and potatoes of this. I'll add additionally too that like, there's no way for us to know who did what, like, when we're reviewing this, we'll probably say like, oh, Nick Spencer came up with this idea. 
But, you know, if past is precedent, you know, since past wasn't, you know, JMS's original idea, you know, like Mark said, you know, he was kind of pushed into it. Same with, uh, you know, one more day. So we don't know the behind the scenes of this story. Marvel was certainly less transparent than they used to be. And maybe we will get the behind the scenes of it. And maybe this was Nick Spencer's dream story all along, in which case, great. You know, I do believe that writers should be allowed to tell their story to the best of their ability, you know, hopefully editorials helping out, but I don't like seeing writers being forced to write one thing they don't believe in. So I hope that's not the case here. But again, like we can't really say who's doing what when we're talking about this. Yeah, we don't we don't know the details yet and we probably won't for a while. So I, I, I was about to say, Dan, let's let's get more into the specific specifics of Amazing Spider-Man 73. But I think there's just a little bit more context we need to lay out first. Do you Dan, you you put out this phenomenal tweet thread uh, earlier today, today being Sunday, when uh, September 12th, as we're recording this that goes into lurid detail about basically all of the history of the Osbournes, the Stacy twins, and and Peter's relationship to them all. And as as it relates to Amazing Spider-Man 73, I don't think anyone here necessarily wants us to get into nitty-gritty long narratives here about the summary here. But Dan, why don't why don't you lay out what you laid out and you know if I want to interject something sarcastic, I will. <laughs> Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, I'll try to make this breezy, but I, you know, the number one thing I've heard from people about this issue is just outright confusion as to to what it means, where what the references are, where it's coming from, how it changes the timeline. You know, you can retcon something, and this gets into our review a little bit, but like a lot of people have no idea what this retcon means and what it's trying to say. Right. So I thought we'd start off by kind of just laying out the facts, because I think in laying out the facts, we'll kind of make our point. Is that Mm -hmm. fair, Mark? I think I think that's a great way of putting it. All right. Great. So I'm going to go through a summary of like basically in chronological order, the broad strokes of the new timeline as indicated by this story to the best of my ability. And again, I might get this wrong because when I started this journey, I was just as confused as probably a lot of our listeners were. So I I took this under thing because I was like, I'm not going to talk about this on the show unless I really know what I'm talking about. Okay. So, so here we go, Mark, I was asked for a drum roll, but that would be to delay it further. So starting off the timeline, we recently learned that, you know, Norman Osborne, who's actually a good father, I guess, debatable when, when it started off, but he was going through hard times, not receiving the kind of support that he would want for his work and being outshined by Mendel Strom, his like partner. So he was approached by Mephisto in disguise and decides that he is actually willing to trade his son's soul to the devil in order to achieve success. So as a result of that, he becomes the green goblin that backfires, obviously uh, quite disastrously. And he goes insane as a result of this and becomes almost an agent of Mephisto um, while his son is like doomed to suffer all these horrible fates. And so this pushes Norman's insanity. He's going to try to take over the underworld where he continues flipping between two distinct personas of Norman and the Green Goblin. So then, you know, Norman Osborn, like all villains, I guess, 
goes and dies. He kills Gwen Stacy in the process. We think this could be wrong as to be discussed on the previous podcast episode. It could have been Harry switching costumes. And Harry at the time was overdosing on on drugs. So Harry witnesses Norman's death and is like fueled into like a, you know, some kind of vengeance. He does end up marrying Liz Allen and together they have a child named Normie. But Harry, you know, in his drug abuse, he eventually relapses and becomes the Green Goblin, intent on getting revenge against Spider-Man for what he did to his father or what he perceives he did to his father. And that ultimately drives him and Liz uh, apart. Now, here's where we get into some of the stuff that people, I think, aren't quite as familiar with, which is that Harry would then upload his memory into a computer in a secret goblin hideout. And this was like a version of Harry from when he was like evil. So it reflects his kind of evilness. And he also may have uploaded Norman's consciousness here, but I don't know how he would have done that. So I'm going to kind of leave that aside and say it maybe it happened. So then, you know, in this story, we find out that Harry has actually been meeting with Mendelstrom, Mysterio, and Chameleon. And he wants to get revenge on Peter by creating LMDs of his parents, Richard and Mary Parker. Which which we um, saw in the life theft story uh, in the 90s. This was one of the big stories that preceded the Clone Saga. So, I mean, like, this track so far. <laughs> this is where things, for me, at least get a little bit confusing, which is, like, in this book, you know, he suggests, you know, he's, he's doing, he's working with Mendelstrom, to clone himself. And I, I believe he's cloning himself. That's not really that clear to me. And Gwen to create these like kids for Norman to experience so that he could kind of trick Norman into thinking he had these two heirs with Gwen through mind control. But it, this assumes a lot. And Mark, I don't know how you feel about this, but like it suggests one that Harry somehow knows that Norman returned from the dead. This is, you know, before Harry goes to Europe after he dies, supposedly. So like, there's really no way he would have known. And it also assumes that Harry would want revenge on, on Norman. And if you read Spectacular 200, Harry's death, you know, throughout most of that issue, he's very, rev- you know, revertory towards Norman, you know. And if he's doing this in the flesh before he dies... I don't know why he would want to get revenge on his father yet. It just doesn't really add up. Yeah, this is also to suggest that he knew that he would die himself. So this is like where this this kind of retcon in this issue really begins to fall apart from for me. Is is that the same for you, Mark? Yeah, I, I mean, this is one of many points where it starts to fall apart. But like, yes, I mean, like I said, I mean, like, frankly, in, you know, and I was reading the comic pretty religiously at the time when the life theft story came out and even that like didn't totally track for me because like like that's a story that like relies on a lot of leaps of faith like okay so he knew he was gonna be dead so he programmed himself into a computer after he had already orchestrated this plot you know what i mean it's it's a lot of it's a lot of okay and so this like this takes that and like you know turns the dial to 11 and there, there is just a lot of like so what you're saying is this and that you know that doesn't really even from comic book logic standpoint doesn't necessarily add up okay so let's just assume this is happening i guess we're gonna have to so you know evil can you know so harry like confronts spider-man 
you know, he kidnaps MJ, takes her to a bridge where Gwen died and together they lament their loss of innocence. And we kind of see into his perspective that he blames everything in his life on Peter and which he ultimately takes to confront Peter. And, you know, it ends up with Harry dying, but he dies a heroic death because he kind of ends up siding with his friends and family over his father, ultimately in the end and his legacy. And we get this great silent scene of, of Harry dying. Yeah. That's the, the end of, of Harry. I mean, it does beg another question, which is like, now that we know that this is actually the death of Harry, which is like, Hey, well, Norman and Ned Leeds were able to come back by using the goblin for formula. Why wouldn't it work for Harry? You know, my no prize for that is that like, it's the serum that actually kills Harry, right? Cause he's kind of like perspiring and breaking down and he says it's experimental in issue 200. So I guess if you die by serum, it doesn't bring you back. Is that your read Mark? <laughs> I don't know if that's my read, but you saying it makes sense, <laughs> I guess. So, uh, sure. No prize okay, awarded. Sure. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll keep trucking forward. So, okay. So this is when after he's dead, e the evil computer version of Harry kicks up and introduces the Richard and Mary Parker LMDs into Peter's life, right? I guess they've been cooking all this time and so suddenly they're, they're activated like sleeper agents. You know, there's a whole saga with this. Venom gets involved, but Peter eventually figures out like the secret and he's pretty devastated. Chameleon's behind it, but also there's like a message left from this computer version of Harry or is it a recording or whatever, you know, telling him that he like did this to get back at him for killing Norman. And, you know, you kind of figure that's the end of Harry Osborn for the most part. Like how many of these sleeper plots could he possibly have sitting around? Oh, um, wait, there's more. <laughs> just you wait. Yeah. So then like there's this whole other story. I won't get into the details of it, but it's been referenced recently. Spider-Man Legacy of Evil, where we find out that uh, the, that same computer Harry Osborn is trying to restart the goblin legacy. And so he uses these robot goblinettes, these three female goblins to kidnap Normie Osborn and take him to this secret underground lair where he's going to like drop Normie in a vat of the goblin formula and turn him into the next goblin. He puts him in one of those precariously hanging cages over the vat of goblin formula because he couldn't just get on with it you got you got to make it thrilling you got you got you got to slowly um, drop them and give spider-man a chance to save him <laughs> of course uh save him he does and the lab self-destructs or so we think and that seems to be the end of computer osborne whatever so we get this then we find out that norman is not dead He's been hiding in Europe and was alive this whole time. He was resurrected by the Goblin formula and he's back to continue the legacy with Peter as his heir. And obviously, no matter how many times he tries, he's unsuccessful. And there's some really good stories, I think, in involving this. Are there any that are, are, are like, do you like the Norman return generally? See, this is an example of a retcon where on paper, I'm just like, oh, what the hell? How do you bring back one of the most iconic villain deaths in history like this? And yet, I think the stories that came from it were fabulous. You know, like I, I didn't like the initial run of Osborne's stories following his return, but like certainly like 
um, Death in the Family. I, I, you know, I think it's like when he became like editor of the Bugle. I'm just like, eh, you know what I mean? Like it, it's like you know, and like what was it, the Spider Hunt or whatever? Yeah, and like the 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 Return of the Five or whatever it was. Yeah, the, the, the gathering, the gathering of five, and all gathering that. of the five. Yeah, I mean, like that that was a bit much, but like certainly like those real like intimate psychodrama stories where it was just like the cat and mouse game between Peter and Norman. I mean, those are frankly some of my favorite Spider-Man Norman Osborn stories. You know, I think they're even better than some of the original Dicko and Ramita stories. Uh, yeah. The one where he like dresses Spider-Man up as the goblin and has him like flying around town as the goblin is really a great chilling tale. So at this point where things get really off the rails, Mark, and this is like the heart of where changes were made, which is we find out that like, whether it's like actual Harry before he died or the evil computer Harry at some point used Mysterio to hypnotize Mary Jane and Norman Osborn to remember a false memory of Norman's relationship with Gwen. So none of that relationship happened. It's all a plant from Mysterio. And honestly, I don't really know how this happens. Like it seems to be implied that like, Norman's Parisian mansion is wired to slowly hypnotize him. And with MJ, she was like going to therapy after Gwen's death. But at some point it seems like Ludwig Reinhardt snuck in there and began deprogramming her or something like that. Is that your understanding of it? That's what seems to be presented here, but that doesn't make sense. But yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, um, so th- this plan is is moving ahead, uh, and this apparently is to get revenge on his father, Harry's father, and Norman, and give Norman the illusion of getting the kids he always wanted before stripping them of him, which, of course, this is such a straight line to that eventual answer. And this seems to kind of have happened during the era of like Peter's LMD parents. But again, like I said, I'm, I'm not particularly sh- sure here. So then meanwhile, with the help of Mendel Strom, he, like I said earlier, is cloning versions of himself, at least we think so, and of Gwen to serve as host for whether it's his computerized mind or like Harry's soul as taken by Mephisto I don't know. None of that makes any sense to me. And the book does no service to explaining that. Maybe we'll get it in 74, but right now it's like real vague, but apparently these versions were imperfect. So he had to like bury a bunch of them and keep cloning them until the bodies would accept his like new memories and Harry's soul into one of them. And that's where we get to the events of sin's past which is that like one of the earlier or most recent version of these clones were the two that we met in sins past the supposed children of Gwen, Sarah and Gabriel Stacy, who, like we said earlier, attack Peter thinking he's his father. And, you know, ultimately all that is like flipped around by the end of the story. You know, we've got the whole assertion that like they slept together and we find out that Peter never slept with, with Gwen, which some people take umbrage at for some reason. And then ultimately, like, you know, Gabe is unable to accept the reality. So he becomes the gray goblin and tries to kill Spider-Man. But ultimately, his sister Sarah 
stops him. Then we get to this really weird story where Sarah like returns to Paris and is like housing Gabe uh, as his mind fractures. And like Peter goes there and he's like trying to fight off his urges to like be with Sarah Stacy, who looks just like Gwen, which we, I guess now we know is a clone of Gwen, but she's like aged up rapidly. It's gross, but he like really makes sure to put the, a firm foot down and MJ shows up and is like, how dare you get with her? Blah, blah, blah. It's a whole mess. The less said about it, the better. And this is really the last time we ever see Sarah Stacy in any of these books. She gets a job on the Parisian police force. So yeah. And the next time we see Gabe, he's like in a test tube in the American son storyline. Gabe would ultimately eventually become American son because he's having like a mental breakdown and then we never see him again. And at this point, they are both dead. I assume they both die of rapid aging at this point. Mark, they're dead. Are we shedding tears for these characters? It's over, man. (laughs) It's over. Um, So, okay. So that brings us to like the moment, like when they die, we have to assume that like this triggers Harry kind of cloning them again, which is ultimately what we'll get in Kindred. So at this point, we all know Peter like unmasks himself and Aunt May gets killed. So he makes a deal with Mephisto to bring her back from the dead Everybody forgets who they are, and he and MJ are not together anymore. It triggers events that get him to go to Doctor Strange and erase everybody's memory, including Norman and Harry, but not MJ. So then at some point, this new Harry shows up, and we find out that you know he's got the memories of Harry Osborne, but he says he was whisked off to Paris where he lived for a few years. You know, Mysterio made it all look like he died, but he really didn't. And now he's back and he's not Green Goblin anymore. Although now we're beginning to find out that this doesn't seem to be actually Harry. It's an LMD or a clone with some kind of knowledge of that. Harry begins to date Lily Hollister and doesn't know Peter's identity of Spider-Man. He relapses into becoming the Green Goblin, but he ultimately becomes a better person. Yay. Happy story is over. Then it's revealed that Lily herself has found a Goblin cache and has injected herself with the goblin formula formula to become menace to help her father win a mayoral campaign. Like I said, Gabe then shows up in a lab. I guess after this, he's dead. Lily turns out is pregnant with Harry's child for a while. We think it's Norman's child, but it ultimately ends up being not his child. So that's gross and all kinds of confusing. At this point, we can assume that Sarah and Gabriel Stacy die and kindred or the computer program begins to resurrect them through clones again. And we can assume that since this is the last time this happens, that these clones end up becoming what we know now as kindred, but he has to wait a period of time until their bodies age up so that he can put his soul into their bodies because that's what we're doing here. Okay. So then Lily gives birth to Stanley Osborne who through a DNA test, right? We find out is Harry's. I don't know what the deal with this character is now. If the Harry Lyman we've been following isn't actually Harry, but is like an LMD or a clone. Who is, who is Stanley Osborne? I don't really know at this point. Fine. Mark, are you sick of this yet? Keep going. We're almost there. Okay. We're almost there. So then eventually Harry and Liz get back together for one big happy family. Harry renounces his Osborne name, wishing to make a new legacy for himself. Good for you, Harry. 
character growth. That's nice. Eventually, Harry stands up to Norman during the Red Goblin era and reclaims his place in the Osborne family. And he wants to reclaim the name of Osborne and make it into something actually positive. And then at this point, we have to assume that that Harry is kidnapped by Kindred, but not before he's able to hide a stash of goblin gear inside of his apartment for reasons that we don't know yet. Okay, whatever. He's got goblin stuff in his apartment that Normie seems to have known about. Kindred then also employs Chameleon to cook up a concoction for him so that he can look like Harry Osborne instead of Sarah Stacey, whose body, the soul of Harry, is currently occupying. So that's why we saw when Kindred unmasked that it was Harry Osborne. Kindred then kills Mendelstrom to hide their work together and reactivates Mysterio to help him pull off his plan. We still, to this day, don't know what he wants, but it's something to do with Peter and Norman's sins that hasn't yet been revealed. Um, We also know that he's weirdly precious about MJ, which I guess would be accurate for Harry. And then Kindred does a really lot of dumb things like turn everybody into demons and resurrecting people and haunting Peter's dreams because he can't act for reasons we don't still yet know. He resurrects the Sin Eater so that Norman's Green Goblin persona can be erased. He kills the Sin Eater. He resurrects the Sin Eater again. He tries to kill Spider-Man and Norman. Then he tries not to kill them and spares them. Then he kills him Spider-Man a hundred times and resurrects him again. Then he gets Mysterio to take MJ out of town for no particular reason. Then he sends six Sinister Six after Spider-Man. He reveals himself to be Harry Osborn. Then he reveals himself to be Sarah Stacy with the mind of Harry Osborn. And then ultimately where we are at today is Harry Lyman discovers Harry Osborn's body and begins to remember, unveil that he's not who he appears to be. And lastly, we're at the end of this issue where everyone is finally coming together to maybe finally reveal what's going on here and tie into one more day. And Mark, I'm exhausted from talking about this. And it went on a lot longer than I thought it would, which you warned me about, which is fair. But I do feel like we need to get this all out of here. And I feel like I made a point in just exhausting myself by going through this. Mark, your thoughts. What you just described is both, I feel, a tremendous feat of Spider-Man research on your part and just a perfect demonstration of how absolutely bonkers this story is and the 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 vast number of contradictions when you're when you talk about like the ends justifying the means and you know will this undo since past will this undo one more day those are bad stories i don't like them let's undo them i mean like you know you kind of laying out like all of the other stories that we that this hypothetically impacts you know, there, there is a story going back to when One More Day was happening and, and J. Michael Straczynski, he really did not like the idea of undoing the marriage the way it was set up. And one of his big proposals was let's do some kind of like massive time jump backwards where it, it, it like basically brought everything back to like amazing Spider-Man number 90. Like Gwen never died. Harry never died. Norman never died. You know, Harry was on drugs again, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that idea was essentially voted down because it's like, that's way too complicated. Like you're changing way too much, you know, like there's just way too much that's getting wiped out 
or altered in doing it that way. You know, like that's, you know, like if you're going to get rid of the marriage, that's not the way to do it. And I agree with that. Like that would have been to me just an obscene mess of continuity and doing it that way. And that's how I feel about this, frankly, about this story, about about what we got, what Nick Spencer has presented here. Nick Spencer and Marvel's editorial group in the Spider Office, because it's like when you go back and think about all of these stories going back to, I mean, frankly, the stuff with Norman and Mephisto impacts things going back to the 1960s. But like, you know, the meat, the meat and bones of this story you know, going back to like the early 90s with the Jam Demetrius run and all that, like it's just so it just runs so deep and it's just so complicated and, and messy. And, and you know, like there's got to be an easier way to do this, not to mention that this was three years in the making. So anyway, that's a, that's that's my teaser for what's to come. That's that's but great work, Dan. Yeah, it went on. It went on long, but. It needed to be, you know, it needed to be laid out the way it did, because I don't think we could talk about the issue in any kind of lurid detail without knowing all of those things. Well, here's here's the deal I'll make with you, Mark, is uh, after all of that, I think you deserve a drink, as do our listeners at home, because if if anything's going to drive them to drink in the pages of a Spider-Man comic, it might be me explaining all of that. And certainly I had a few cocktails last night after concocting it. Um, so let's talk about our Patreon while everybody gets a little sip from their uh, from their glass. All right. So if you find this show and anything that I just did valuable, please consider supporting us by recommending Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. And if you're able, become a member on the Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members too, Dan. Yeah, so why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, in fact, cheaper than Sinister War, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week it comes out instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcasting feed. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print by artist Ron Friends. He's created a lost page of the kid who collects Spider-Man for us, which was inked by Brett Breeding, depicting Tim and Spidey sharing laughs over Tim's Spider-Man comics collection. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. You know, doing something like I just did, you know, I have to justify in some way, even if just in my own mind, putting that much time into doing something as silly as that, you know, but like the Patreon is what helps that happen. I can at least go to sleep at night knowing that like your support is, you know, is, you know, I'm doing this for you guys and you guys make it possible for me. So uh, thank you again. And, and, And like we always say, we know it's a hard time for everybody. And that's true for Mark and myself. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show by following the link in the description or the show notes. And again, thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. We've been growing at rapid numbers and you guys are great. And it means the world to us that you're supporting our work like you do. But you know what? You want to hear our work and you've all been very patient because Mark and I have got to release our opinions on this silly, silly comic. Mark, let's do it. Let's talk 
about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 73, and our thoughts on, on this issue. So, Mark, I wish we could have recorded this podcast Wednesday night when this came out because, like, I don't think I've ever seen such a fiery storm of text from you, you know? Man, I wanted to bottle some of that energy. So can, can you release some? Maybe you had some stored up inside of you. Tell me a little bit about, like, your thoughts that you've yet to communicate on the show. <laughs> you see, this is this is the unfortunate thing of our of our recording schedule, Dan, because like I think don't get me wrong, I still think this comic is a disaster. This is probably the worst comic I have read since we've started reviewing Spider-Man together, Dan. Use that as a teaser for what grades to come. At the same token, like, you know, between talking with you, talking with others, kind of venting my rage about it because it was it was rage. Like, I think I even, you know, contrary to what I said at the very, very beginning of this episode, you know, I think at one point I was like, if it wasn't even for this sh- for this podcast Dan, and our friendship, maybe I wouldn't even read the book anymore. I mean, because that's how like disgusted I was by it. Like a lot of that has been tempered just by time and by kind of thinking things through. Like I, I already said earlier. Sins Pass is, to me, it's a dead story that has has no relevance to the Spider-Man mythology. So to, to, to go ahead and fix it is, you know, both, I think, a really bad idea. I think it's a very arrogant idea by whoever conceived it, whether it's Nick Spencer or Nick Spencer in concert with Marvel's editorial team. You know, to me, I just don't see the point of it. It's 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 someone who just thinks that they can they can make everything better with just a wave of a hand. And that's what I best that, And I think that's part of it, too, what kind of enraged me about this comic, because, I mean, putting aside just how scientifically you dissected everything that happened as a result of this comic a few minutes ago, Dan, like at the end of the day, this this was all this was all just magic and hand waves. You know, like the, 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 it's it in its detail. It was there's also just a level of I feel like laziness to how this was put together. You know, like I, I, I feel like people didn't think things through. They just wanted to get what's the end game? You know, like the end game was we're going to undo this. We're going to we're going to we're going to change this. And we're going to, you know, so that we can set up this uh, this issue here without actually thinking through the ramifications of what those actions were. You know, and and to me, like, you know, and, and and then that's not even getting in. We haven't even talked about this at all in any of this, Dan. But like this comic is the amazing Spider-Man. Spider-Man is like not even a tertiary character in this storyline. This is like this is like the, the the fabulous Osborne saga right now. And like anyone who is talking about this story in terms of how it's honoring Spider-Man and his characterization because it, you know, it changes things in his past. Like, fine, then do some real work with Spider-Man here. Like Spider-Man is just being totally neglected in the storyline. has nothing to do with him. This is not JMD Spider-Man. This is a, that's an insult to JMD Spider-Man. There is no cerebral <laughs> insight into who, what Spider-Man or what Peter is thinking in all this. He is, he is a passive character in his own book right now. So, Yes, that that was kind of what I was firing off, I think, on Wednesday night, Dan. And now it's coming back to me. And it's just like, this is this is just, like I said, it's arrogance, it's laziness, and it's also just really pathetically poorly executed. So there you go. That's, that's my overall thought on the comic. <laughs> yeah, uh, so my thoughts are very similar. Uh, I don't think I was quite in, in the same rage as you. My, mine has been a slow building. 
actually. Like I, I really wanted to digest it a little bit more. And I think part of me putting together that timeline was my way of like exercising that rage a little bit. I read an interview with Nick Spencer uh, where he said that like amazing Spider-Man is about responsibility. And, you know, I, I think that has real value, you know, and I also think it's more accurate than saying Spider-Man is about youth. Although I think youth is a, is a big part of it, you know, but I think responsibility is bigger. And I've written articles for the Hollywood reporter arguing that like, you know, based on into the spider verse, like they really ought to consider aging Peter up and allowing miles to come into the spotlight because responsibility doesn't go away. The older you get, in fact, it gets intensified. Although I guess when you're a kid and younger, you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But I, I do think that there's real value to that principle. And so I understand, like, I think why Nick Spencer felt like he needed to do this in, in, in some way. Like, and I think from his first issue, we saw it, right? Like we really loved issue one because it finally dealt with the responsibility fallout from Superior that we felt had been neglected and and punted and kicked down the field in order to get back to like a fun freewheeling Spider-Man instead of dealing with all the repercussions of that. And we felt like that was a real drag on the remainder of the slot run. And, And I think maybe there is value to this and there's a way to have done this that would have really worked, but this is not it. I've heard people say both like in the comments on this video tonight and all over my timeline feed. Well, you know, at least, you know, since past is now gone, right? Like this is a noble move by Nick Spencer to fall on the sword of continuity in order to clear up Spider-Man comics in the future. Right. And I think in some instances he's done this and told good stories, right? I like the black cat cleanup. I like the stuff that he did at the beginning of of uh, of his run. You know, I've liked a lot of the kind of like, whether it's a, you call it a retcon or just a continuity cleanup, I've liked a lot of that. And the stuff I've liked is when he tells a good story with it, you know. But to hang your whole run on this retcon that's not a story and is just a massive exposition dump that makes little sense and at the same time elevates sins passed into something worth and then one more day into something worth spending 75 plus issues addressing makes a, like a mountain out of a molehill. And there's, there was a way to do a two, three issue thing out of this that I think I would have really appreciated, but like this is just prioritizing absolutely the wrong thing and not even telling a good story with it. This is a, it's a disaster. Yeah. I'm like, you know, here, here's another thing to keep in mind too. I mean, like I, I agree with everything you just said, by the way, but like, you know, with the other thing that this story effectively did, you know, in terms of like how the buildup and, you know, the three years to tell the story. I mean, like this, this, I feel like this reveal neuters kindred you know which was spencer's grand creation from the beginning because now it's like in doing all this we learned that kindred is basically just is a prop you know kindred is kindred is uh, you know a, a means to an end for ai harry ai harry is the big bad of this story so all of the time and space that we wasted on kindred and his powers and where he's from and how is he doing this and how is he's doing that we, we, I mean, we really don't. I mean, yes, there's one more issue left, so we can find these things out, I guess. Although I don't know to what satisfying level if it's just one more issue, 
all of this spent to to build up this character and then it's just like well it's actually a clone of a clone of a clone with my soul in it and i'm the one pulling all the strings and you know it's more that i did this this and this that created the drama and again still unclear how this affects spider-man the character in the book the main character <laughs> like this is this is, seems like a really convoluted plot to get at norman osborne <laughs> Mark, you and I have done multiple episodes on uh, like the mystery format in Spider-Man, how mysteries are almost never satisfying in, in this. And I think this is the ultimate showcase of that, which is the failure of the mystery box format. And, and look, I'll say that I hate the mystery box format, although Hobgoblin is my favorite villain. But like I look in like, you know, I often criticize J.J. Abrams Star Wars movies because the mystery box I think is hollow. It's just a, it's a removal of the carrot, the thing that you're trying to get to and saying you're going to get it at some point so you better build up the hype and that carrot had better be worth it. Right. But because you can't get close to revealing what that mystery is means you're going to avoid addressing all the things you need to build up to make that mystery matter. Right. So like, here, because I think he was so afraid of people finding out what was actually going on with Kindred, we tread water for so long and none of the elements that play into who Kindred actually is are ever touched until they suddenly are in this story, right? Gabriel and 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 Sarah suddenly pop up, AI Goblin pops up, like all of this stuff. I mean, like really the only thing we saw prior to this is maybe Chameleon Mysterio and, and uh, Mendelstrom, but like... That's not even getting at like any of the which is like clones. And if you had leaned into that and yes, risked ruining your mystery or hell, just tell us who it is up front and do it in a few issues. It wouldn't be such whiplash because we would be in that mode where we're thinking about these stories and we're recontextualizing them here. It's like we, we suddenly find out who it is. There's no way any of us could ever guess at it. Although I feel like there's times where you and I have come close, you specifically, I think you said there were like two kindreds at some point and things like that. So like, but at the end of the day, all of that is hollow gesture. Like one, I feel really silly guessing about this, which you've long said, but I, I don't think I'm about to change my, my habits. It does hurt me. I'm not going to invest in a mystery like this again, because I'm just going to think it's a failure. And this mystery box format needs to die unless you're going to get it over with quickly. Like we cannot sustain something on this for this long and not actually get at what it's about. I think part of the issue why I started to like lose steam with the guessing was because it, it, it was losing the, the fun for me because I felt like even when I, you know, was initially closer than, than you were with the guessing, like I, 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 I like there was always a part of me that was like, until like they pull the rug out and do something completely out of left field because I can feel it coming. And that's where we're at. You know what I mean? Like, like to me, that's not fun. Like there's no fun in doing this as a, as a reader, as a fan, when it's just going to be like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to give you anything. And we're just going to tell you after an you know, a determined amount of time, like then, then what's the, like you said, what's the point of the mystery box form? The mystery box format is supposed to be you're playing along and they give you clues. Roger Stern gave clues about Roger Kingsley in his book. I mean, you know, 
Like like you said, was Ryder Kingsley a hot character at the time? No, but like you had the clues. And when they they swerved, I mean, well, the, the joke with Ned Leeds was that Tom DeFalco was setting him up to be a red herring. And then, you know, Christopher Priest revealed it as as Ned Leeds to screw with Tom. But like it was there in the text that Ned Leeds was a suspect. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like this is this is this is this is just nonsense. Like like like. Where the hell did the Stacys come from? We had one little passing glance between Norman and Spider Gwen when they were in the pod in the in the lead up to Last Remains, but like to, that to me wasn't a hint that it was the Stacy twins with Harry's AI in it. Like you said, where does AI Harry factor into this? It's ridiculous. There is no no build or, or or gamesmanship here whatsoever. It's just a writer and a create, or I should say, a creative team turning around and being like, "Huh, this is what it is. Screw you." I'm sorry. I feel like this was a big middle finger to a lot of people too, as well. Well, I mean, so back to our original conversation, which is like you and I pretty much largely ignore sins past. But if you if you put this story under a microscope. It doesn't make any sense and has a ton of plot holes, which we'll also have to ignore. So like you're asking me to ignore something new to resolve something that I already ignored, right? Like, okay, maybe none of these plot holes are quite as consequential as what Sin's past did to the Gwen stuff, but they do undermine JMD's run in a large way, right? That Harry knew Norman would return no, that that completely destroys that character's motivation in all of those stories, which are classics. Right. And like you said, there's one more issue that could clean this up. And and I do commend that there is some kind of like mad genius confidence to this that I think we've yet to see fully play out. But like there's this arrogance, like you said, this idea of like that fixing all these stories at once in such a like break it to fix it fashion like w- would ultimately be be worth it, right? And uh, this gets to the editorial, which is like, if there's no good editor to help shape a break it to fix it, it's just going to break it and read like mad ramblings. And, uh, you know, that's what it reads like. It's just like someone just made something. I mean, look, these are all made up, but this feels like someone just like came up with a mad libs of Spider-Man and put it together. And like so, let me, let me throw a couple more things here that to me like this this damages. I mean, so like, you know, again, you want to talk about like the integrity of characters and and their growth and their evolution. You know, like let's let's look at Harry Osborne here. If Kindred was indeed some version of Harry Osborne that had like fallen off the wagon in some way, because you know, like Harry had been evolving into an upstanding citizen, like anything else in in this kind of cultural realm i mean a heel turn is not an unusual development for a character like harry but at the same token like think think about what has actually been presented here it's not that harry has grown in a way where he has turned evil again because of xyz what is actually driving the action here is a reverted suspended sense of of harry going back to a time where he was a psychopath. So like it just takes any growth and literally just snaps it back to a point in time where 
this is where the character was and will and this character the ai harry is can't progress past because he's ai <laughs> you know what i mean like it's 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 basically saying you know you, like that you know you talk about responsibility and 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 growth for for characters and and spencer and the creative team are basically presenting us with a character that literally cannot grow and that is the character that is driving the conflict in this storyline a character that cannot grow because it's ai and that so like again i feel like it's just it's just it's just cheap you 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 couldn't even come up with a good reason why the harry we've been following for the last 10 years or how many years it's been now would go in, in this direction. Instead, you just was like, no, nah, I'm going to go pick a Harry from this point in the timeline and say, it's him again. And he, and, and there's nothing you could do to change it. Uh, you know, like it's, 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 I'm going to, I'm, I'm, you're going to argue with me. <laughs> sorry. No, I, well, I'm going to say one, I want to give a little bit of credit to the story because Norman does push back and say that Harry died a noble death. And the, like what you're following through on is not actually what he would have wished. For. So I, I think that's acknowledged slightly within the text. And I'm going to withhold my feelings about the Henry Lyman of it all until we find out what the conclusion to that story is. Because to me, losing that character will be a tremendous loss to the book because that was a actually really well handled character arc over a long time span. But I don't know how that ends. So I'm not quite ready to like burn torches uh, over that. Because honestly, I think that's a more fleshed out character than Gwen ever was. And losing that to save Gwen is not a worthy trade-off to me. It's not even about losing Harry Lyman. I think it's more just about like whatever version of Harry was kindred. Like, because as you mentioned, like Harry, even that version of Harry, he died the noble death. So it was like, so what what would bring him back around to this? You know what I mean? Like that was that was always again part of the mystery for me. And 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 it's it's part of the 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 thumb in the you know the thumb on the nose about the mystery angle that that drives me really crazy about this it's you know it's basically the creative team saying well you know it's just a version of harry that where none of that in his mind happened you know what i mean like so so what am what's my takeaway here you know like that like i don't know like to me like it's it just seems very regressive for the character I mean, it's it, I mean, it's not even seems regressive. It's literally regressive. It's 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 we're taking a point, a character, a, a psyche of a character from a point in time and just kind of making it static. And and I don't know, to me, that's a that's that's a waste of character. It's it's, you know, like it's because it, like it can never it can never bend or, or whatever. I mean, you know, maybe we're going to get some kind of big surprise in 74 and the A.I., suddenly sympathizes and changes its tune. But like, again, to me, it's going to feel really dull and unearned because it's like, you know, like it's AI. <laughs> like what's, what's my, what's my investment in AI? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think it's the same criticism you would hurl at something, you know, like the pursuit story, right? Where we find out that Peter's parents are robots because that was also a, a remnant of an evil Harry, even though he'd already been redeemed at that point in time. But like, you know, we had Danny Fingeroth on the show and he admitted they had no idea what that story was about and made it about Harry at the last minute, you know, whereas this seems like something that like, I, I mean, giving them the you know benefit of the doubt, they knew where this was going from the get go, you know? Uh, so they had a chance to avoid that in the way. I mean, everybody's a chance to avoid that, but 
like we, we have the hindsight to look at that other story and say, well, the flaws were, were evident because we know this about it. You know, but you're describing like a character story. And that's really the, I mean, the real thing here is this is just a raw exposition dump of a comic. And I said it earlier, say what you will about like sins past in one more day, but they were stories that were about something. And, and yes, they hurt, right? Uh, Like seeing our characters go through these things hurt, but that's because we care about them. And to me, this story makes me care less, which ultimately makes it hurt more in the long, long run, because if anything can happen and anything can be rewritten and undone in such a dumb way, that's not character oriented, but like magic, like you said, why do I ever want to get invested in this? And, you know, like one more day and since past hurt, but I kind of invested more because I, I wanted to see those characters get a redemption in some way. And this is just like cheap seats and it hurts it in the long run. And so you could say like, Hey, at least those stories don't exist anymore. But like in those stories, not existing anymore through this manner, I think you're making a wish on a monkey's paw. I mean, you know, since, since past and, and one more day hurt Dan, but at least they're coherent. <laughs> this, this story is incoherent. I mean, like you had to flow chart it to, you know, for 20 minutes to, to make it make sense. And it still doesn't make sense because, you know, I'm sure there are some things in your flow chart that are either wrong or just don't add up because the, the text itself doesn't add up. And, you know, I, like, I did what I could, Mark. No, I know. I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, give me give me coherent, but but strongly dislike versus incoherent and strongly dislike because <laughs> it's like because that's what this is. It's like you said, it's an exposition dump, but exposition dumps can be good, too. <laughs> Same, right, right, right. We all saw the final of episode Loki of Loki. Was an exposition dr- the, the season finale of Loki was an exposition dump. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the scene with uh, Arlen Zola in Winter Soldier is an exposition dump. I loved it. <laughs> so, you know, like, exposition can be good, but this is this is just the worst kind of exposition dump. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's not even to get like we haven't even really even talked about like the page by page of this comic, which we're not going to. But like the way that it's communicated is really confusing. I don't know how many times you had to read this comic to make sense of it. I'm still reading this comic to make sense of it. And not just because of the retconning of it all. The like panel to panel. Who's talking? What are we looking at? When is this occurring? like I find tremendously confusing. And I think the art actually is pretty strong. Like it, it's not as dark as I would think an issue like this would be. It's kind of this like friendly kind of almost chibi anime style. It's a warm, like round characters, but I think maybe they were thinking, I think like uh, it, it reminds me of actually six ninety eight. The artwork is almost bland so that you can understand it better right? Like it's like very plainly put, like I couldn't see like a, a Gleason doing this issue because he's an amazing stylist. And I think that would maybe make it even more confusing. But even then I was still just terribly confused by what I, like it was hitting my brain and I was going, what? Like, it just like, there were things, you know, going back to our initial texting when this came out, like where I was like, wait, and we don't have to go blow by blow with these but like you know the reviews of this comic have been a fascinating subset of itself i mean putting aside our own review here 
And like I read one review where they were like, so and so Harry Lyman's a clone. And I'm like, and I texted you. I'm like, wait, so do we know that? And you were like, I don't think so. And like, you know what I mean? Like, like, but clearly that person rightly or wrongly got that impression. And that, like to me, like that, that summarizes the incoherence right there. Like there, there are major plot points that, you know, yes, you could say maybe one person jumped the gun on something, but like at the end of the day, like, like, would it, would it, would it surprise you if that was what actually came out in this text? No, because like, there were so many other things that you were just kind of like, wait, what? Like, what am I supposed to get from this? Like, what, what is the actual plot that happened here? <laughs> you know? So yeah, it could have very easily have been like, oh, I, Harry Lyman is a clone and I missed it. <laughs> There was this one review that I sent to you, Mark, that I'm going to mention here by name. Uh, the the site Comics XF from from our friends over in the X Men world. You know, they had this guy Tony Thornley, who I think is a listener to our show, who wrote a, a review of this, and the review basically gets at the sentiment that we're we're talking about, which is basically like this story is awful, but it's so bad that perhaps we'll never revisit this and just move on. So therefore it's kind of good. It's like that sentiment is the ultimate, ultimate nihilistic review. And I refuse to go there personally. Like I cannot get to that level of nihilism that it's so bad. We might not ever come back to it. It's just not how I feel in my heart, but I read it and I was like, I can understand that sentiment. Yeah. I mean, there are like, television shows over the years that like I have like you know what what my wife and I affectionately call like hate watched where like you 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 watch with the, the with the distinct intent to dislike it and make fun of it as you're watching it and you know when it comes to this and Spider-Man and this story specifically that I can quote unquote hate read it you know what I mean like it's it because it, it, it's it's this is going to sound really melodramatic, but it's like it's it's so upsetting in that and how unenjoyable it was. You know what I mean? Like like I don't I don't like having that little enjoyment in a Spider-Man comic. Like there was no like, you know, to me, like I uh, it's so bad that it's good. Like there should be some joy to be found, even if it's like misguided joy. <laughs> like like, you know, there are, there are elements of the clone saga that I feel are so bad it's good. You know, and like you can you can you can argue that there are other Spider-Man stories over the years that are so bad or good. Like this is this is to me not a so bad it's good. Like it's it's this is just bad and disappointing and dispiriting and demoralizing because I feel like we've spent so much time. I mean, you know, putting aside the time you spent putting together that timeline, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks I, I mean, for reminding me. I, I know, I know. I'm just gonna take cheap shots at you all night for this. Again, like okay. <laughs> Woe is us. We have a Spider-Man podcast and we get to talk about Spider-Man every every week or every other week. Uh, what 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 a what a sacrifice we've made uh, in our lives, Dan. But like, seriously, like this is <laughs> like this. This run has been going on for three years now. And like we've been playing the kindred game and the guessing game and this and this and that and trying to build to this moment. And it's like I really kind of feel like I just wasted the last three years of of this in terms of like what the payoff was going to be because there I find no joy from it. And it's like, you know, like I, I don't know if there's ever been a period of Spider-Man that has lasted this long where the payoff was so joyless for me. You know, like like even even the clone saga, like the bad parts were kind of, you know, they they were drawn out. But like the really the really abominable, uh, abdominal, that really terrible parts like we're kind of short lived in, in retrospect, you know, like when you think about it, like looking back on it now. So that's kind of what has me 
feeling a little like, you know, like to to your point, like I, I don't know if I can go there in terms of the nihilism about this story because it's like, no, I'm invested as a fan and I feel I feel kind of screwed over that I was so invested in this story to have this as the result. In terms of the length, like looking at this like objectively, what I would do differently, and I don't like to play the like, how would I do it? But I think for me, a lot of the like retcon stuff of like the, you know, mind, you know, hypnosis and the like clones. Okay, fine. But like, it's the kindred of it that ruins it for me. I think, I think if you remove that character, it works better and could be done in like a three issue story. You have the hairy AI acting up. It was on the Fritz and it triggered all this sins past stuff. And we could move on in like three issues, maybe make it more character oriented. Peter is fight. just like legacy of evil. It's some other thing. You just use it to undo since past and you move on from it. But this it's this desire. It seems like he's trying to basically kill all of these things at once with this mega story that's so clever and it's just too much to put on it. Like just tell little stories, you know, like if you're treat this like the other retcons you were going to do. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to use the word arrogant again, but like, it's just look at your story, get it over with. If you want to get it over with, I mean, clearly like Nick Spencer was enamored with the kindred idea. Who knows when it was supposed to end, but like there was just not enough here to sustain that. And the fact of the matter is, you know, again, going back to, I mean, these are, these are what Spencer has said himself in interviews, you know, like he, he has said from the get go, it's not, you know, it's not about who kindred is. It's what he wants. And we, you know, like 73 issues, we still don't know what he wants. And that's to me like the, the, the biggest strike at all, a strike of all against this, against this storyline is like through all of this, we don't, we, we really have no clue what Kindred is after here. You know, like what, what, is, what, what has been the point of all this? You know, it doesn't matter that it's Harry or Gabriel or, or Sarah, because, you know, I get that, but like, then tell us that didn't tell us what he wants. <laughs> like, you know, like, like something has to give, like, it's just, it's just such a failure in storytelling, like on every level. I mean, you know, except for, like you said, the art, I mean, the art wasn't terrible, but you know, like the art at the same token, the art didn't provide clarity to this story. I don't know if any artist could have, but like, you know, it, it, it it's, it's, no, it's just a it's just a failure. It's I, I hate saying that because I said last episode I wouldn't call something a failure, but this is a failure. We have now failed. Like I, I, I don't see how you walk this back in one issue that's gonna redeem it. To to you know, not to not to deflate your initial premise when we started this episode of, you know, there's always hope for the next issue. I mean, like my 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 hope for the next issue is I know it's the end and that seventy five starts beyond. And hopefully and my hope begins again with beyond frankly i mean again i think nick spencer means well right like i think he got lost along the way and and you know nobody was guiding him you know when, when you have hands-off editorial as i'm gonna assume here you can get a little bit lost or maybe you have to follow what they want and you pace your story in a in a weird way like but someone should have you know, if Nick Spencer wasn't able to do it himself, someone else should have. I, the The work that I did to map this out, I think surely Nick Spencer did as well, which takes real dedication to think all of that up and try to do all these things at once. But it's like, maybe ask yourself if if that was the right way to handle it. I, I, I don't know. I, again, like 
That's why I'm re- reluctant to say arrogant, but it is kind of arrogant. And then for me, the real sign of it is, and this might be me reading into the text a little bit too much, is the final page where we've got Mephisto and Doctor Strange. You get this line from Mephisto that says, like, maybe don't try the slots. And to me, I don't think there was any way to not read that as a dig at Dan Slott's run. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. I think maybe a good editor would have caught that and said, maybe that's not the right way to end this thing that is undoing a lot of the good work that Dan Slott did on the book, however you feel about it. Like, I, I don't know. Did you, did you catch that when you were reading through? Or what, what do you think of it, even if you didn't? I, I, I didn't. I, I got to be honest. I didn't catch it on first read. You pointed it out to me, but then a few other people, and I don't think it was because you said it to them, but a few other people I saw brought it up too. And, and you know, I think that kind of bridges another interesting point in all this is, you know, as you mentioned when we began, yes, I think the vast majority of opinions that I have seen about this comic have been of of the negative variety, but there there, there have been defenders of it, or I know that there are people that are just defending this run in general and, and, and you know, believe that, as we've said a few times on this episode, the ends justify the means. And, you know, I, I think if you want to take the slot comment at face value that it was indeed a dig, I think that that kind of feeds into what might be going on here with some of these opinions. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to assign any kind of meaning to what someone thinks about a piece of art, you know, like some people like it and, you know, I may not like it. And, you know, like, that's fine. We, we all have different opinions and, you know, like you, you don't even have to explain yourself sometimes, you know, like you just, just like what you like or don't like what you don't like, you know, it's, that's a okay. I have noticed over, you know, over the past three years, you know, like I kind of refer to it as, as almost like a form of tribalism that's kind of developed. And, and, you know, we've, frankly, we've seen tribalism in other parts of our culture, especially more so over the last few years. I think it's becoming a bigger, bigger problem, probably because of social media creating these echo chambers where people can just get the, you know, get the info and the opinions and the things that make them feel good in one place and amplify it and make them feel it and go deeper into their tribes. The, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, the the period of Spider-Man comics that went from one more day into, you know, into brand new day into Dan Slott's run. And, and let's, you know, let's also keep in mind that Dan Slott was a key part of brand new day. Th- th- there was a contingent of fans that just were, were never on board for the ride. They thought that this was that it was a big waste of time, that it was a terrible idea, that Peter and Mary Jane should never been broken up. And that, you know, Dan Slott and the other writers that that contributed uh, in the years that follow who who perpetuated that terrible decision were making irredeemable comics because of, you know, they didn't, you know, these are people that never saw the merits in the story. You know, like you and I have, I feel like have, especially the Dan Slott run. I've always looked at it very objectively. You know, we, you know, the stuff that we thought was done well, we, we, we've praised and the stuff that uh, was not done well, especially that of stuff in volume three, what we've talked about, we criticize quite, quite extensively and probably to the point that I, I don't know if Dan Slott will ever talk to us, Dan. And that's, you know, it's neither here nor there. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is like a lot of those people that I saw sharing that, that disgust for one more day, brand new day and, Dan Slott's run are the same people that I feel are just going to the mat for what Nick Spencer has done on this book regardless. 
regardless of, you know, pointing out, well, it's this, it's that. Like, I, I've talked to people who have been in favor of these stories and of this comic specifically that are bringing up things that, you know, quite frankly, to me, like, I just ob- objectively don't see. It's not even like, a, oh, I disagree with that point because X, Y, Z. It's like, wait, that's what you got from this? Because I didn't even, s- I don't see that, you know, like, how, how, like where, where, where are you pulling this from? And when, when stuff like that gets brought up to me, it, it, it just, it smacks of this idea of tribalism. It's like, you know, no, I, I am, I am anti-slot. I am pro Spencer and you cannot change my opinion on that. And, you know, frankly, to change your opinion on that would be to admit that you're wrong about something and people don't want to do that. So I think that we're, we're, we're kind of settling into that to a degree. I'm not saying all fans are like that. I don't think we're like that, Dan. I think I don't think we're tribalistic about <laughs> fandom for Spider-Man. We we like what we like. I think we're definitely seeing that kind of polarization come forward here, and it's a little little dispiriting to see in a in, in comics. You know what I mean? Like 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 we shouldn't have tribes in comics. Like you know, like let's all just kind of like try and see the objective truth of what a, what's in a comic and what's not in a comic. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's not to say that that surfaced only for this issue. Right. I mean, like this is something and you got at it, which is, it's been going on for a while, right? This immediate championing of something that was anything but slot. And I think you and I were both ready to see slot off the book, you know, even just to get like a new, a new voice on it. But like, it doesn't, it doesn't suddenly make everything that someone's doing. I, I remember John Stewart, like when he would make fun of someone on the daily show, there would be headlines that showed up that were like, John Stewart destroys da 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 right, and I feel like I started to see that here where it's like Nick Spencer destroys Dan Slott's run or something like that, you know, and I never cared for that, you know. I mean, if if that's how Nick Spencer thinks, I think that that's really sad, and I don't really have any evidence of that. Although I did read into that slot line at the end, you know, but like as fans, you know, I don't think we should be treating it because at one, I still think Nick Spencer loves this character. You know, like, and, and, and I said it on Twitter, he's been nothing but nice to us. So like, you know, we, we have no desire to trash his work other than to say, we objectively think it's poorly done and has a bad idea at the heart of it. But I would never like begrudge him, his love of Spider-Man. The same with Dan Slott when I didn't like Dan Slott's stories. When we begin to pick, you know, teams like this, it does, you know, eventually foster its way upwards and then you've got editorial that just like outright ignores the fans, you know, and none of this is good for the quality of the book at the end of the day. We have to be able to talk about these things and support how we feel. Like, I, I mean, I, w- I would be happy to bring on someone that I felt like expressed a really well-articulated view of why this book is good. I've not found that argument yet, but I'm, I'm certainly open to hearing it, and, you know, especially as we, we march towards 74. Anyway, I, I think I'm glad you brought this up because it is something that I've seen a lot of during this run. I, I hope doesn't continue into Beyond. Maybe because Beyond has no one focal point. There's so many different writers that might get diffused a little bit, but but we'll see. Yeah, and and I mean just to kind of add a, a a cherry on top of what you just said, it's it's not good for the book, and I also don't think it's good for the culture surrounding the book. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like we've 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 joked about this over the years, Dan. I mean, like I, I, I have a very I sometimes have a very complicated relationship with fandom because of my own kind of 
impatience with 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 people <laughs> you 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 aside and you know you would probably say no you're impatient with me mark <laughs> um, but um, um i mean this argument came up between us this week i, I still don't know that i understand what you were getting at but like but but yeah continue no no but like it, it's to me like it, you know people are allowed to think differently that's not you know i'm not looking for an echo chamber here but like like you said, like we, we, you, you have to have in any kind of discussion and criticism, especially like you have to be able to just like discuss things on the merits of what you're seeing and what you're doing. And, and, and I think like when when you kind of settle into these tribes where you just cannot be moved from your perch because, you know, like you're just against this and pro that it creates a toxic environment about fandom around something, too. You know what I mean? Like, so you, you it's just. Like I said, that to me is kind of the biggest like sighing moment for me about what we've just experienced in this comic is this idea that, you know, I feel like this is going to inject some toxic energy into Spider-Man for a while. That's going to, you know, probably, you know, certainly overwhelm my relationship, at least online with it for for some time. And and that's that's a bummer. So that's where we're at. <laughs> I do think a healthy reminder that Twitter is not real life it, it, it is always uh, a do, not directed necessarily at you. Right, just, no, I just know. Just for everybody. Right. Yeah. I agree. So that being said, Mark, why don't we give a grade to this issue? <laughs> <laughs> well, contrary to what I said last episode, I am giving this an F. And I'm giving it an A+. Plus. No, I mean, I mean, yeah. uh, sorry, <laughs> this is not, this is not variant down. No, I, I'm giving this an F as well. And I, I feel consistent with the last issue, giving them the same score of an F because ultimately, while I think the previous issue was better written. It has even bigger ramifications on the characters I love than this issue does. And so that is how I equal it out. But these are both to me big fails and i think the first time you and i both have ever failed an issue on the show to my knowledge take that as you will and again your mileage may vary but mark and i have said our piece and we are going to move on and we will cover 74 fairly right whatever 74 ends up being but that is it for amazing spider-man volume 5 number 73 for us mark why don't you take us home as you normally do (laughs) I feel like we're so far away from the path at this point, like finding our way home is a bit, a bit of a challenge. <laughs> of course, it's that time, that time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning in and enduring this very lengthy episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it uh, for for all of our rantings. But uh, as per usual, and I feel sad for him this time, this episode was edited by Rick Coast with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released as a Patreon on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So Mark, 
until you make a computerized copy of yourself that starts cloning both of us and you brainwash me into believing that we had a romantic relationship and gave birth to ourselves only to reveal to me the truth that this never happened and that your soul has now entered my clone body. What's our motto? (laughs) (laughs) To to, To echo my comic book sales guy. With great podcasting must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next